morning. Galatians chapter 2 is where we are this morning. As we pick back up in our expositional study through the book of Galatians, we're going to pick up in verse 17 this morning, right where we left off last week. And as you, as you look for that, can I encourage you two things this morning? To make sure that you pass this series in Galatians on to your friends. People need to hear this message, not only the ones that have been preached, but where we're headed in this message. The, doc, the doctrines of the church and how they impact how we live have been greatly neglected. And our lives pay the price when, we, when it's not understood. And, so, and, and also, today is a day of prayer and fasting for the International Missions Offering. Please make it a priority to come tonight to, our, to right, right here at 5.30. We're just going to pray together. We're going to meet Christine and I are going to talk about our, our trip uh, from the Ivory Coast. And then we're going to pray for our missionaries and pray for our offering. So make that a priority. Um, I think you'll, you'll enjoy it. So Galatians 2 verse 17. Stand with me out of reference to God for God's word. Beginning at verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Pray with me. Lord, this is your word. Give us ears to hear, Lord, as many of us have had Busy weeks and hard weeks and frustrating weeks. We are tired or even maybe discouraged for many reasons this morning. And Lord, we must give your word the reference that you so only deserve. So Lord, give us the understanding we need this morning to rightly divide your word and then apply it to our life. We pray for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, man, you can be seated. So last week we began to get into Galatians chapter 2. And we said once we hit Galatians 2, then we have two central questions that the rest of this book works itself out. It centers around these two questions. The first question is, how does a... How is a person made right with God? Or we would more rightly say, how is a person saved? And then the second question, which is the primary purpose of the rest of this letter, is how does a person live righteous? How do they live out this justification? We looked at the definition last week. It's on your notes here at the top. Justification, the doctrine of justification. Justification is the gracious act of God by which God declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. So we dealt last week with the first question. 
A.W. Tozer calls this working out of this second question, living the crucified life. If you've never read any of his books, I'm currently reading The Crucified Life by Tozer. I would highly recommend any of his books. But here, this crucified life is characterized first by not works of righteousness, but in faith in Jesus Christ to make us righteous, to declare us righteous. And then, he's going to work this out through the rest of this letter. Then, we live the crucified life. We live it out by faith. But when we come to verse 17 here, there is an argument. And what he's doing is he's foreseeing, he's assuming these objections are going to come from these Judaizers that have come into the church that says you have to have grace, yes, plus works of the law. He's, he's saying, this is the argument, so I'm going to go ahead and lay it out there. He, he, he pitches it in verse 17 and verse 18. You see, the argument is this, by the Judaizers, is going to be, this doctrine of justification is dangerous. And you know why it's dangerous? It just makes it too easy. It weakens our moral sense of moral responsibility. And what you're just going to do with this doctrine of justification, you're going to... You're just going to make it so easy that people are just going to trust Christ and then they're just going to encourage them to break the law. You're saying the law doesn't even matter. They're just going to encourage them. They're just going to live as they please. And Paul's response is, God forbid. You might want to find Romans chapter 6. We're going to be there a lot. And he makes the same argument there. It's the same. It's the same, but his opponents are saying the same thing. Man, if this grace is so good, then people are just going to live and just let the grace keep flowing. And he says, no, you don't understand. Christ is not the author of sin. You need to understand. This is a fundamental. For him, he's going to make the argument now. This is a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel of justification. The Roman Catholic Church comes against the Protestant view of justification by faith alone. And they see it, and so did these False teachers as legal fiction. Legal fiction is a rule assuming is true something that is clearly false. That's what they're saying. You're saying that, that it's possible for someone to be declared righteous and to not change their character. He said, no, you don't understand. You don't understand this, the power of justification at all. So listen to Tozer. Quite simply put, a Christian is one who sustains a right relationship with Christ. A Christian enjoys a kind of union with Jesus Christ, superseding all other relationships. So this is what he gets into. We are inseparably united with Christ. And once you are united with Christ, you cannot be the same. Faith, you see, isn't just about receiving salvation. Faith is enabling us to live out salvation. So our, this sharing, this is the word I want us to think about. That there is a sharing. A sharing in the atoning death of Christ for all who believe by faith. And a sharing in the resurrected life of Christ that comes through our justification. So those who are crucified with Christ share in Christ's atoning 
death. Look with me now at Galatians 2 and verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. And so let's talk about this word share for just a second because there's two things I want you to see about this word of what he's describing not only here in Galatians and we're going to look at it too in in, uh, Romans chapter 6 here in just a minute. But first, it's this clear understanding that all who have been justified share. In other words, there is no such thing in Scripture as someone who shares in Christ as his Savior, but then somehow later shares with him as his Lord. There is no such thing in Scripture as someone who can be justified and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, there is no second-class believers in Christianity. All share. All who have been justified share in all of this this morning. That's the first point. The second just gets to, well, how? How do we share? Because that's important because we dare not say that we had absolutely anything to do with Christ's atonement in our life. He paid the price. We had no part in that. He bears the full wrath and weight of our sin. We had no part in that. Christ's work alone is what we have faith in. But in one sense, we do share. We do. We do share in what happened on the cross. How? Look at your notes there. Those who have been justified have been crucified with Christ. And if you're taking notes, write the word all in front of that. I wish I would have added that word. All those who have been justified have been crucified. We have died with him. Turn with me to Romans 6. Romans 6. You see, the opponents are making the same argument here. And so Paul's dealing with the same issue here in Romans 6. Let's look at verse 1. Romans 6, 1. The same argument that he's refuting in Galatians. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us, this is important, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. This is simply what we meant when we do the ordinance of baptism, that that is an outward reflection of something Christ has already done. We were crucified with Him. Baptism is simply a reflection of what He has already accomplished. Those who have been justified have been crucified. And necessarily then, because we have been crucified, we have died to sin. All those who have been justified have died to sin. Verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. If you still got Romans 6, you can see in verse 2 he gets into this completely. Asking this question. He turns the question around on the opponents. How can, some, how can you live in something that you're dead to? Romans 7 verse 4. He even gets more clear. Romans 7, verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through, listen, through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to one and to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear, we may bear fruit to God. God's word is meant to be read very slowly. 
And if you read it slowly and oftentimes aloud, you will begin to see. You see, we have died to the law. How? Through the body of Christ. Why? So that we may belong to another. Now we're getting somewhere. This also was true of all people. All have been crucified. All have died to the law. And all belong to another. You see, the old era was clear. We were sinful. And what the law did, and all that it did, is simply magnified our problem before a holy God. It said the wages of sin is death. Sin brings condemnation, but it gives no, no offering, no, no ability to fix the problem. It simply magnifies it. This is our problem. What does a new era do? It brings righteousness. It brings life. It brings freedom in Christ from what? From the penalty of sin. That's what it does. Justification pays a penalty. And listen, this is where he's getting. This is where he's beginning to emerge here in what it means to live righteous. It also breaks the power and dominion of sin. This is what it means to die to sin. You have died to the law. Why? Because on the cross, when we are crucified with Christ, he breaks the penalty. Yes, he pays the penalty, but he breaks the power. The dominion is broken. And ultimately, in our glorified state, we will be rid of of the presence of sin. Past, present, future. Our justification is God's declaration that sin has been put to death in our actual life. Romans 6, verse 6. Look at it. It says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that, listen to what it says, so that we would no longer be what? Enslaved to sin. Verse 7. For, the, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Do you see that? This is what we have partaken in. We have been crucified with Christ. Therefore we have died to sin. And what's been removed is an enslavement. A dominion now. No longer. So who no longer has is enslaved to sin. Who is that? All who have faith in Christ alone. This is simply what justification produces in our life. Necessarily then, we've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, we have died to sin. Then we die to self. Look at what it says. If you still got Romans 6, look at that. Verse 6. We know that our old self was what? Crucified with him. What is part of the old self, brothers and sisters? Our old desires, our old dreams, our old priorities, our old relationships. In other words, being justified means that there is in our life a radical amputation of sin and self. This is what it means, this is what it produces. A radical amputation from all that was to what is now. It is all new. Christianity is not the old plus eternal life. Jesus Christ promises you two things. A cross to die on and eternal life. And so he tells us in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Look at it. It is no longer I who live. 
You see, he's getting back to the argument where they're saying that I, you're making it too easy for that I. You're saying that I can just believe in Jesus and he's saved and that I is just going to keep on sinning. Matter of fact, he's going to sin more. He said, no, you don't understand. The eye's dead. The eye's dead. He's been crucified. The eye doesn't exist. You see, when we believe, we believe into Christ. This is what we said last week. That faith in Christ alone is not a mere intellectual ascent. Where whereby we just say we believe that Jesus lived and Jesus died. For that's what the devil believes. It is a crying out for his mercy. It is laying everything on the floor. All to you I give. I cannot do it. I will not do it. One more day I will repent and put my faith in you. That's what justification is. And to that means that everything that we were is crucified on the cross. Therefore... It is necessary because we have been crucified with Christ. We have died to sin. We have died to self. Therefore, we, have, we live changed lives. All those who have been justified have changed lives. Verse 20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the flesh by the faith in the Son of God. Yeah, I died. It's no longer the I who lives. In other words... This is just the truth if you're in Christ today. It's not about you. And listen, for a true child that's been born again, that's good news. It's no longer about me. My old desires, my old friends, my old approval, it's dead. It went down in the grave. Now when I come up, I'm approved of God. Your old self is gone. Colossians 3.9. Colossians 3.9. I love Paul because he makes it so clear. Put off, put on. Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Do you see it? You can't put off the old self and not put off the practices. Because if you did, you're deceiving yourself. And you believe because you've assented the information that you've truly been born again. But you see, the new self puts off the old self. It wars against it. This is the difference in Colossians 3.10. Now look at the next verse. It says, and have put on the new self. Look at, what it's, look at the desire. Which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. You didn't desire that before. You can't manufacture a desire to know Christ 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. We'll look at this verse even tonight as we pray and worship together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Do you see it? That's the declaration. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. It has ceased to exist. Behold, the new has come. And never stop reading it there. Because verse 18 says, all this, all the old, all the putting off and the putting on, all the justification, all the radical amputation, grace, it's all from God. George Mueller. If you've never read the autobiography of George Mueller, I would recommend it. It's simply his journal. George Mueller 
ministered to over 10,000 orphans, started 117 schools, and gave 120,000 kids a Christian education. This is what he had to say. There was a day when I died, utterly died. Died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, taste, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then I have studied to show, to only show myself approved unto God. For those who have been crucified, sharing Christ's death, therefore we lived Christ. Those who have been crucified with Christ, sharing his new life, this resurrected life. So in what sense do we share with that? Look at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the, now, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look at verse 20. What does it mean that we share in Christ's new life? All those who have been justified are indwelt by Christ. Turn with me to Romans 8, verse 9. Listen, if you understand the doctrine of the Trinity, that is absolutely no problem. It is absolutely beautiful. Romans 8, verse 9. Let's seek to gain understanding. This is good, brothers and sisters. But this verse 9 is very clear. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? That is clear, God's Word. There is no second class Believers, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you have not been justified by God. Verse 9. But, look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Brothers and sisters, that's good news this morning. Amen. Shut the gates. Let's go home. Let's celebrate that. Your body's still reeked by sin. Yes, we still have problems. He's going to get to that. But our body that's still contaminated and still paying the price for sin, when God makes us alive in Christ, God dwells in us. The God that created. The God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Does it sound like we could ever be the same? This is the argument he's making. Do you see it in both letters? He said, think. If you're a Christian, this is your reality. Resurrected and dwelt by the same God that raised Jesus from the dead. Galatians 4, 6. We're going to get to this a little bit later, but I just wanted to touch on it. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's what the Spirit cries in the heart of all those who have been justified. 
no exceptions. David Platt, the Christian life is not so much about you and I living for Christ as it is trusting Christ to live for us and through us and in us. This is faith. We are indwelt by Christ, and yet we still live in the flesh. That's what he says at the end of verse 20. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. But yes, I live it in the flesh, but I don't live it the same way anymore. That's what he says. The life I live now, I live, I'm human, I'm still here. I'm, there's a spiritual life that's in me that indwells me, but I'm still living in the flesh, but now I live by faith. It's different. The word flesh here is not tied to sin. It's simply saying that Paul's saying, listen, I'm still a human, I'm still living. And yes, when we live, we're not going to live perfectly. I'm going to see that in a second. I want you to see something that radically changes in your life. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, look at verse 4, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Do you see? This changes everything. We're still going to face suffering. We're still, the storms are going to come. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about that in a minute. They're going to get worse. But we live by faith. We don't fight with these anymore. We have divine power we fight with. We fight our wars with spiritual weapons. And listen, those who have not been justified, that makes no sense. But for us, it's how we live. It's how we fight. It's how we make decisions. So those who have been justified have been indwelt. Those who are indwelt live by faith in a self-giving God. This is his, his whole argument gets very personal here. But listen, pause for just a second. Are you living in a debtor's ethic before God? Have you bought this bad teaching that says, after all Jesus done for you, you owe him. Listen, that is not just, just bad teaching. That is false teaching. We have no debt. That makes me mad when someone says that to me. Why? Because my Jesus paid my debt. Are you saying that my Jesus didn't really pay it? And now I still have to work to pay it off by what I do? Absolutely not. Paul would say, God forbid. He didn't, there is no debt. Jesus paid our debt. We do not live in a debtor's ethic, and we do not relate to each other in a debtor's ethic. If I invite Tommy over to my house to eat, he does not have to get in a car and, and tell Melissa, well, when do we need to have them over? That's a debtor's ethic. No. We love each other. Brothers. This is how we relate. This is how Christ relates to us. And this is how we relate to others. And so, Ephesians 5.25 he gives us, he motivates men and how we love our wives with this. How does he motivate us? Look at it. Ephesians 5.25 says this. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now that's a good motivation. We don't motivate people with debt. We motivate them with the cross. This is how you motivate those who have been justified. 
Listen to me. Faith in Christ can only be sustained in your life when you are confident in God's love. Love is the fuel for faith. And if you have a doubt that your God loves you, the faith in your actual life will take the hit. And so, he wants us to make sure we understand that the roots of love is found at the cross. It's found at the cross. Look at what it says back in Galatians 2. He gave himself for me. This, this points to substitution. He personally loves me. And he personally gave himself for me. Brothers and sisters, this is why our doctrine is important. Jesus Christ did not die for possibilities. He died for people. He died for you. This is what he teaches us. He personally loves me. He personally gave himself for me. But listen to what David Platt says here. Quote, God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for him. Instead, God's pleasure in you is based on Christ's performance for you. John Stott said, no Christian who really gets this will ever revert back to the old life. He loves me, and he gave himself for me. And listen, it's good, and we're going to remember that tonight, that God's got the same God's got a passion for the nations. He, got his, he calls us to go to all peoples and tell them about this Christ. They, listen, they don't know it. They don't know it. I set across from them. They never heard it. They don't know it. But this morning, I want to remind you that Christ died on the cross for you. And when he died on the cross, he did not do nothing. He did everything. You're saved by grace alone to Christ. So let us live by faith. Jesus loves us and he gave himself for us. Romans 6.10. Look at this. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Pause for just a second. Listen to me, I got good news. Sometimes it don't sound very good. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross and rose to, again to live for you. What does he say he lives to? He lives to God. He died on the cross for God's glory. His ransom for you brought glory to God. That's why you're saved. And so then. So, so then. Look at what he says in verse 11. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin. And alive to Christ. You see that word? Must consider it's the same word. It's the word reckon. It's the same word we get the word impute. You see what he's saying? Listen, Christ has died for you, and now he lives to God. And now you must consider yourself. You must reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Why? Because you really are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what he's saying. This is who you are now. And you are resurrected with Christ to an eternal body to not live to yourself, but you are resurrected in Christ to eternal life to live to God, just like Jesus did. So do you? Last week I asked this question, am I trusting Christ alone through faith alone? By grace alone? 
And that was getting to the first question. Have you been made right with God by faith? But now I'm going to ask the same question. How do we live righteous? I'm going to ask you, am I trusting in Christ alone through faith, alone by grace, alone to live righteous? To live out my justification. Listen, there's a lot at stake here. Verse 21. He's concluding, or you might say he's destroying. (laughs) He's destroying the argument that he laid out in verse 17. Look at verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Listen, I love you. And this might be a little uncomfortable. What does a life characterized by addictions, depression, anger, bitterness, self-pity, and marital strife say about God's grace and the sufficiency of the cross? What does a life that's dominated by addictions, that's dominated by depression, anger, bitterness, self-pity, and marital strife say about the power of God's grace and the sufficiency of His cross? Brothers and sisters, I am afraid we are ignorant of the devil's devices. Do you know, this is what I'm afraid of, because nobody tells us, that when you begin to grow, when you begin to see God's grace, you begin to see His power to work in your own life, and the power to work in other people's life when you see the cross, is all I have to give to you this morning. It's all you have to give When you see it, when you begin to move towards it in faith, what will come in your life is marital strife will intensify. Depression will come on you like a a flood. The devil will throw the kitchen sink of you, the kitchen sink of self-pity and envy. Even now, as I said that question, how are you processing it? You're saying I'm no good. I just can't stop. Listen to me. Conviction. Listen. Conviction is grace given to us to drive us to repentance, never to despair. So if this morning, like I had to do this week, you're struggling with one of those things on that list or the many more I didn't, You must do what the Bible commands us to do. You must do. You must repent. Repent of that self-pity. Repent of that depression. Put it off. Do what we must do to amputate it from our life. For our King is alive. This is how we fight it. We fight it with the gospel. We don't fight it with the ways of the world. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. We must press on. We must press on to know the Lord. We must not trivialize the cross with what we believe or how we live. It's too precious. Timothy Keller says this well. Christ will do everything for you or nothing. Quote, this is Christianity. Believe in Christ to be everything you need for every moment you live. You live by faith in the Son of God. So, brothers and sisters, I leave. Let's close with Ephesians 5, verse 2. And I urge you, therefore, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
Understand that. Understand what it's saying. That my, that your sharing in Christ's atoning death, that Christ grabbed a hold of you. He didn't have to. He did. He grabbed a hold of you and he took your sin down in the grave with him and he rose again. And that that sharing of your sin and that giving of eternal life, look at what he says, is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God and God accepted it. It's good news, brothers and sisters. So God, we are saved only by your grace. What do we have that we didn't receive? And if we have received it, what do we have to brag about? We are yours because you have shown us mercy. You have given us the gospel. You have given us faith. You have given us repentance. You have indwelt us with your spirit. You have adopted us into your family. You have secured our salvation with the very power of God and you have given us a promise that one day we will be rid of sin now and forever. And so Lord, how then shall we live? Oh God, that you would make us the most humble and the most generous and the most radical followers of Christ that exist. Because we understand grace. We understand the cross. And we will not leave it. And we will not cover it up. We will not plan our lives around our comfort. We will lay it down. Because that's exactly what your son did. But Lord, thank you. Now... We, as your blood-bought children, desire only to stand to our feet and to respond to our God in worship. We, God, now desire by faith to leave this place and to live by faith, to suffer by faith, to die by faith, and to be a part of your great mission. Thank you. Those many men and women that have come before us that modeled this for us. May we do the same, not for our benefit, but for the glory of your great name, so that you may gather people from all nations, from all neighborhoods around your throne to worship you. Now, Lord, receive our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand to your feet. Let's worship together.